0: tiring times with family and work and school, and it's good to be reminded where our true power lies. It's not in um, anything else but the cross and the reminder of what the cross is, and that's why every Sunday we present the cross to you, um, so you could gaze upon its power and find your strength from that. Uh, For the benefit of those that are visiting, we've been going through um, the Ten Commandments. And so please turn to Exodus chapter 20. We've been uh, looking at each commandment. There are some weeks we've looked at the actual text in Exodus. And then other weeks we kind of transitioned away from that and looked at texts that might uh, more elucidate a particular commandment. There's not a lot there. But I thought it fitting to end by looking at Exodus chapter twenty and verse number seventeen, as we look at the commandment, "Thou shalt not covet." Um, uh, I, early on, I would give sort of like a, I don't know, a statistic regarding the Ten Commandments, and then I would get into the sermon. And so I want to end with that. I um, I read a statistic on the Ten Commandments, and it mentioned that uh, that pretty much they asked people which commandments are still valid today or for today, which, which commandments are still useful for the day. And I wasn't surprised to find out that for most people, it was the commandment, thou shall not murder, and then thou shall not steal, and then thou shall not lie. Those were the most... Uh, that people said were most valid for the day. The ones that people felt were irrelevant for our time were actually the first four commandments. Um, And in a secular world, you would expect that to be the case. People think that the first four commandments are not as relevant. Interestingly enough, of the last six commandments, people felt like this commandment, thou shalt not covet, was least significant of the remaining six or second table of the law. And that's to be expected as well. We live in a consumer-generated or consumer-driven culture, and so it's kind of counterintuitive to think that the commandment thou shalt not covet um, is wrong if you're driven by consumerism. Well, anyway, uh, let's look at these commandments, beginning at verse number 1, Exodus chapter 20, and I'd like us to read this together, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17. Let's read it with one voice. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter, Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, indeed, this is your word and these are your people. I pray that you might cement your word in their hearts. Lord, as we have gone through these commandments, you have awakened in us um, a true sense of your law, but at the same time, a true sense of your grace. And so I pray now that what you know not, you may teach us, what we have not, that you might give us, and what we are not, that you might make us, by the power of your Holy Spirit and for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, one hot summer's uh, evening, I think it was 90-something degrees, I was driving out here on Old Chad, I was heading to the Wallach's house to spend some time with our young people. When out of the corner of my eye, I saw um, a gentleman that I knew. He was disabled, he was sitting in his chair, and he was uh, sweating, and he looked to be in distress, and so I stopped pulled into the churchyard and I ran over there to see how he was doing and I said hey what are you doing here and he said pastor I'm on my way to the gas station and I said the gas station no 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 it's, it's too hot for you to be out here in the gas station let's let's go back to where you live and he said no no no, pastor I, I have to go to the gas station don't you see it's uh the, the lottery is up to a billion dollars I said, oh, my goodness, you're going to get a lottery ticket? No, 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 we have to go back. And so, and so he said, no, 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 pastor, you don't understand. If I win the lottery, I'll give the church some of the money. And I said, well, why didn't you say that to begin with? I mean, we're out here wasting time talking about all sorts of things. Now, now, you all know that's, that's not accurate. Of course, I didn't say that. Um, now, at this time, two two of you, and you know who you are, came over and you you helped me to get him back to where he lived. And uh, I'm not going to repeat the rest of the story uh, because it's it's not a pretty story. But I will say this: you know, as we think about that, I found out something interesting. It made me think. Do you know that hundred and five billion, billion dollars, billion dollars, spend every year? on lottery tickets? Just for a frame of reference, it's more than we spend on the music uh, music industry, not our music ministry, but music industry, (laughs) books, sports teams, movies, and video games combined. Combined. Now, uh, you and I both know that people don't go and buy lottery tickets because they like the shiny lottery ticket. No, no, no. The reason why people go and get the lottery ticket is because they covet the lifestyle that the lottery brings. That's why. That's why he was willing to risk his own safety to go and buy this lottery ticket. Because it promised a certain lifestyle. Now, you might be sitting here today and lottery isn't your thing. But make no mistake, within each and every one of us in here today, there is a covetous spirit. In fact, Paul said it like this in Romans 7-7 by way of personal testimony. Paul said that he would not have known sin, he would not have known covetousness were it not for the Ten Commandment. Paul said, in fact, When he studied the Ten Commandments, he realized how truly covetous he was. And he also realized how covetousness lied behind every sin he had ever committed. Because of a deep, abiding study on the Tenth Commandment, Paul said that he was awakened to how every bit of his actions were actually sinful. And this is actually the case. If you you were to look at the Ten Commandments, Behind the breaking of every commandment, you will notice that it's a covetous spirit. For instance, why did the children of Israel break the first four commandments? Because they coveted the gods of the nations. Why do you and I um, are disrespectful to our parents? Because we covet other parents. Why is it that um, uh, Ahab killed Naboth? Because he coveted his field. Why did David commit adultery against Bathsheba? Because he coveted her. Why did Achan uh, steal the devoted things? Because he coveted them. Why did Ananias and Sapphira lie to the apostles? Because they coveted the praise and the renown that everybody got from giving. You see, beloved, covetousness is behind each and every one of our actions. James actually said this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among us? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. That's the reality that grows in each and every one of our hearts that behind it, there is covetousness. And so what I want to do, just briefly, is I want to look at the commandment. I want to do what Paul did. I want to look at this commandment, and I want to expose the covetousness that can lie within our hearts, and then I want to provide a remedy for it. So first of all, how do we diagnose our covetous heart? Well, look at verse number 17. The word, therefore, covet, is a Hebrew term that just means a strong desire. It means means to give our heart over to something. Now, now that desire could be good or bad. And so you're looking at me and you're saying, well, Pastor Dan, how do we know that our desire is good or bad? How do we know that what we desire is a good thing, is a good desire, or is a bad desire? I, I I have eight questions for you. And again, I think this is what Paul did as he reflected on the Ten Commandments. I have eight questions, and all of them are based on this text. The first question is this. Are you desiring something that belongs to another? Notice the commandment, verse number 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's male servant, and on and on and on. The first question is this, is what you are desiring, does it belong to someone else? Now, that's a little bit different from saying that, you know, someone has a nice house or someone has a nice uh, or, or somebody has a wonderful wife or a wonderful husband. That's different. That's not coveting. But coveting, true coveting, is when someone has something that you and I want, John McKay describes coveting as a consuming desire to possess in a wrong way something that belongs to another. It is when you and I look at something that somebody else has and says, I want it, I need to have it. That's the sin of Ahab when he saw Naboth's field. He didn't just say, I wanted a field like Naboth, he said, I wanted Naboth's field. And so when he went into his room and as he was pouting, his wife Jezebel comes to him and says, why are you pouting? Aren't you king of Israel? And they concocted a lie and killed poor Naboth for his field. So that's the very first question that we need to ask ourselves, is what we're coveting belong to another? Here's the second question we ought to ask ourselves. Are we truly content with what we have? Notice again in this passage, if I were to rephrase it, I would say this. Are you content with your house? Are you content with your spouse? Are you content with the things that you have? You see, one of the reasons why you and I covet so much is because we don't have contentment or don't have a spirit of contentment. Now, the spirit of contentment, we hear that all the time and we say to ourselves, well, you know, um, of course we know that we need to be content. But don't you realize contentment strikes at the heart of the gospel. When you and I are not content, we are communicating something about the goodness of God. Think about how good God has been to you. See, the, the issue with contentment in this pa- the issue with coveting in this passage is it looks beyond what you have to what your neighbor has. And it doesn't focus on all the good things that God has given you, all the gracious things that God has given you. In fact, it's a denial of the goodness of God in your own life. Beloved, I bet you if you look through your life, you'll realize how truly blessed you are. But when we covet other people's things, we deny the goodness of God in our lives and we become discontent. I was reading uh, in preparation for this study, and I came across a poem that so describes a heart. Listen to what the poem says It was spring but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child and it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20 but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired but it was middle-aged I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over and I never got. What I wanted. You know, if we're not careful, we would want away our own existence. You see, in that poem, we are faced with the reality that we are never content. Whatever it is you want right now, even if God were to give it to you, in a moment's notice, you wouldn't be satisfied with it. Because our hearts are constantly looking at the next thing. You know, David says something so beautiful in Psalm 23 Surely goodness, goodness, and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What is David saying there when he says goodness? He's recognizing that God has been good to him, and he's content with that. Are you? Or are you always looking at what your neighbor has? Here's the third diagnostic question. Are you desiring something God doesn't want you to have? Have you ever stopped for a moment as you read verse number 17? Does God want you to have your neighbor's house? Does he want you to have your neighbor's wife or husband? Does he want you to have the servants and the ox and the donkey? Why would anybody want a donkey anyway? But at any rate, have you ever stopped and thought all the things you desire, does God even want you to have them? You know, there's a latent assumption in all of our hearts that if we desire something, then we should have it. That, that the mere desire of wanting something means that we deserve it. But in reality, the scripture tells us that there are certain things that God has Or that there are certain things that are in the world that God never intended us to have. Uh, An excellent example of this is the story of Achan. When the children of Israel conquered um, Jericho, God told them that all the things in Jericho were devoted to him. Never intended for them to have. And so he walled it off from them. But Achan looked at those things and said, I must have that. And God said, no. That's not set aside for you. Beloved, don't fall into the trap in thinking that just because you desire it, God wants you to have it. Because there are certain things God doesn't want us to have. We'll notice the fourth thing. Whatever it is that you're desiring, do you have to commit a sin to have it? Do you have to sin to get it? That's something you should ask yourself. If you're desiring something, and the only means that you could obtain it is by sinning, then you know that you're coveting. This is David's problem. David could have had any single unmarried woman in the kingdom that he wanted because he's the king, and God graciously gave him that. But what was the one thing he wanted? He wanted Bathsheba. And it was the case that David, in order to get Bathsheba, had to sin, and his sin, of course. Uh, Caused the death of Uriah and brought shame on Bathsheba's heart. Uh, When you look at the 17th commandment, ask yourself the question Do you have to murder your neighbor in order to get his stuff or her stuff? Do you have to commit sin? You know, one area that this comes up a lot, as I talk to a lot of young people about dating, you know, they often say, Well, I love the person that I'm dating. Okay, if you love them, then you will wait until you get married to have sex with them. Because that's a great sign of love. You see, if you have to sin in order to get something that you love, then you know you are not doing what God has called you to do. You're coveting. The true test, if you love something and you are supposed to have it, is are you willing to not commit sin to get it now notice the fifth thing are you willing to wait or are you driven to have it now are you willing to wait or are you dri- willing or are you driven to have it now notice again in verse number 17 god says you shall not covet your neighbors what is your neighbors now You know, so many of us have a problem with waiting on God's gift to us until God actually gives us what he wants us to have. I'll never forget, I was in college, I think it was my senior year, and a lot of my really good friends had already graduated. And in short order, um, I remember one of my friends in particular, the moment he graduated, someone gave him a car. And then right after he, and then a, a little bit later, he got married. And then a little bit later, he had a child. And then a little bit later, somebody gave him a house. And then a little bit later, he uh, got called to be a pastor. And I'm sitting there thinking, my goodness, how much good stuff could happen to one guy in a short period of time? I mean, it was a period of about three or four years. All of these wonderful things happened to him. And I started thinking to myself, God, am I ever going to have any of those things? But you know what happened? A year later, I got married, and three months later, I got a car, and about eight months later, someone gave us a house to live in, not to, like, have, and then shortly after that, I was able to go to seminary. You see, there's something about when you desire something, right? You feel like you need to have it all now. Some of you that are in college, you're thinking, why can't I be, why can't I graduate Tomorrow. I can tell you why you can't graduate tomorrow, because that's not how college works. (laughs) You have to actually go through a process. But everything we want in life, don't we all want it now? We all want to be sanctified now. We all want the fat retirement now. Everything we want, we want it now. Well, that's a sign of covetousness. Because if it's worth having, my mother always used to say, if it's worth having, it's worth what? Waiting. Waiting. Man, my mother, um, I, I've said this before, my mother probably never went past fifth or sixth grade. But some of the things that she said was so packed up, full of wisdom. And she would tell me over and over again, anything worth having is worth waiting for. And young people hear me. When you're young, that's not a doctrine you follow. You want everything right now. But anything worth having is worth waiting for. That's what the scriptures call us to. Jacob would have been done well to remember that, as he had to fight and scheme to get the blessing that God had already promised him. Here's the sixth thing. Do you seek or do you covet the praise and validation that others receive? That others receive. If you look at this passage, it's interesting to me. He lists off all of these household things. And then at the very end, he says, or anything that is your neighbor's. That's the catch-all phrase. Anything that's in your neighbor's. You know, sometimes we know people that are incredibly gifted. I don't know about you, but I know people that are incredibly gifted. I, I had a roommate. His name was Gino. He wrote me a song. Isn't that cool? How many of you, your roommates, wrote you a song? Right? Gee, there's one or two of you. like, yeah, that happens to me all the time, Pastor Dennis. <laughs> Not me. Not me. I, I, I got paired with Gino Rosario. This dude was probably, like when God was handing out gifts, you know, He kind of stopped the conveyor belt, and he just did this to Gino, right? Gino was a computer engineer, a gifted musician, and he he knew like seven or eight languages. I'm not kidding. In fact, if you go on the Jazz Top 40, his song is on there now. My wife knows him well. And Gino would be sitting down at the piano, and he said, Dennis... Dennis, I'm going to write you a song. And he just starts... And next thing you know, it's a song, a whole song! (laughs) I'm like, who does that? I I could tell Gino. I could be sitting down and I could say, Gino, I'm thinking of this song. I can't remember. And he's like, oh, I know that song. And he starts playing the song. (laughs) Right? Incredibly, incredibly gifted. Now... When you're in a room with someone that gifted, do you think you just say, no, I don't want what he has? <laughs> it doesn't bother me that he gets straight A's. <laughs> I have no problem that he could just sit behind the piano and write songs at his leisure. Oh, of course not. You sit there and you're like, Lord, why? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> what? Why did you have to do me like this? You know, like... <laughs> Just I, I get handfuls of blessings and he gets the whole card. Look, we've, we've all been there. If you've graduated, you wish that you got the valedictorian if you were not the valedictorian. You wish you were charismatic like someone else. You wish you were as popular or as funny or as gifted as someone else. We always want the praise and validation that other people get. We're never satisfied with what God has given us. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, I mentioned them at the beginning of the service. They coveted the praise of the early church community. They saw people like Barnabas selling all that they have and giving it to the early church. And and all the praise that was heaped on them. And what did they say? They said, I want that. And so what did they do? They sold a piece of property and then they came to the apostles and they said, look, look at what we sold it for. And the apostles said, why, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You know you didn't sell it for that. And they died. Why? Because they coveted the reputation that other people have. All of us are like that to some degree. To some degree. We'll notice the final thing. Um, under this point, by the way. And there's only one more point, but I have to make that clear. Here's the seventh question. Do you find yourself saying if only? Do you find yourself saying if only? In other words, do you find yourself daydreaming? It may not necessarily be anybody else's stuff, but when you sit down in your own free time, do you find yourself Just daydreaming about the life that you want. You know, I had a friend um, confess to me that he regularly daydreamed about everybody else's life but his own. That's what he did. Regularly daydreamed about everybody else's life from his own. And you know what begins to happen when you begin to daydream about everybody else's life but your own? you end up missing all of the beautiful things that are happening in your life. Now, it's nobody here that you know, but it's true. If only, if only I had more money, if only I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if only I was smarter, if only my house had a deck in the back of it, if only I was more attractive, if only people would notice me more, if only, if only... If only, if only. That's just daydreaming. You know, we sang a song, Father, you are sovereign. You know, if God is truly sovereign in your life, if only shouldn't be in your vocabulary. Because if God wanted you to be all the things that you're craving, he would have given it to you. If he wanted you to be like your neighbor, he would have made you your neighbor. But God wants you to be who you are so he could have the maximum glory through you. You know who's really great at being you? You. So stop saying, if only, and daydreaming what this commandment warns against is us. Wanting and wishing and hoping for the life of everybody else but ours. Now, does this describe your heart today? It did the Apostle Paul. That's why Paul sat back and said, when I reflected on what it meant to covet. And I don't know how long Paul reflected on that. Probably Paul reflected on that for hours, days, months. Knowing the Apostle Paul, he probably reflected on it for years. And he, he constantly looked at his actions and said, are, are my actions the result of a covetous nature, or are these pure desires that I have? Now, the final point I want to make is this. What should we covet instead? Like I said, remember, I began this sermon by saying that there are, There's an evil aspect to coveting. We've looked at that. But what should we covet instead? Again, notice verse number 17. The the whole point of this list isn't to give a comprehensive uh, idea of all the things that we could covet. Because there are a bunch of things in this list that we covet inappropriately that are not mentioned here. The whole point was to get a catch-all. But the point of all the things on this list is this. All of these things are earthly and ephemeral. In other words, all of these things are things that will pass away either with time or with disaster. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the hurricanes that have come and ripped through Florida. Um, On one news report, I I saw someone had a million-dollar supercar just floating in the water. Man, I cried on behalf of that guy. You know, chances are there's probably only 10 of them in the world. Chances are he had to wait a few, like a year to get it. And there it is, submerged in the water, just floating on by. He won't recover that. You see, that's the folly of coveting things of this world. They're ephemeral. In other words, they'll pass away. In fact, doesn't John say that in 1 John chapter 2? It says, love not the world, neither the things of the world, anything that is in the world, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All of those things one day will pass away. And so what should we covet instead? Well, we should covet that thing that will never pass away, that's not ephemeral. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He alone is the rock that will never be swept away by the waters. You know, C.S. Lewis was right when he said that man's biggest problem isn't that we lack desire, it's that we constantly desire the wrong things. Listen to something that Lewis wrote in The Weight of Glory. He said, "Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition without, with when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea we are far too easily pleased. And Lewis is right. I know most of you probably have heard that quote before and have read um, The Weight of Glory, and I, I spent some time really pondering what Lewis is saying. And Lewis is saying this, that for most of us in this room, we spend too little time coveting things that are like mud pies in slums, instead of coveting things that show the glory and majesty of this world, and it's our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says in Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What Paul is doing here is coveting something far beyond what anything in this world can provide for us. He's coveting the riches and glory that's in Christ Jesus. Before that, Paul says that this is the source of his one true contentment. He's contented in Christ because in Christ he finds all the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he makes this expression. He says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How can he not with him freely give us all things? Notice the progression of the gospel in that. In Christ we have been given the greatest gift that man can ever be given. And that's eternal life. And the treasures that come with that. So why would we desire anything else? That's a good question. And I pose that question to you. Why are you desiring the things of this world? They will pass away. What Tenth commandment calls us to is a life of contentment in Christ. Knowing full well that our God is sufficient. Is He sufficient for you? Is Christ enough? You know, I ask myself that question often. If God doesn't give me another thing, would I be contented with just Christ? I would love to stand up here and tell you I've answered that question, affirmative, yes. But I also know that the Christian life is a process. And for us in here today, it's a constant battle of the heart for us to remind ourselves Jesus is enough. We have enough. It is enough. It is enough. Father, we thank you that as we look at the cross, we see everything that is sufficient for us. We need not covet anything else, we only need to covet the riches that is found in Jesus Christ, the treasure that we have in earthen vessels, the power of the cross, the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, um, I know that the war in our hearts regarding covetousness will last our whole life, in which we constantly need to be reminded that you are enough. You are enough. You are enough. I pray for all of us that we would be reminded of that. In Jesus' name, amen.